Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? This week has uh, been a, a bit of a, a sad week around the office. We'll talk a little bit about that later. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's, it's been a bit of a tough week, but we're getting through it and, um, you know, moving forward in, in God's timing. Yeah, um, we we will we will get to that uh, in, in a few minutes. But I have have seen what's been going on in Nashville, so uh, so I know it's been a challenge uh, here in Wake Forest. We have been in new student orientation mode for the spring semester, um, so which is is a little bit different than the than the fall usually because you just have maybe a few more students in the fall, particularly with the college students, because that's traditionally when, when a lot of them are starting, but also people are outside. The weather is, is nicer, but this week's been just a really good one. I actually noticed a real discernible, uh, kind of an uptick in just the energy and excitement, uh, for a, for a winter orientation. And so that's, that's been kind of fun. I've enjoyed uh, seeing all the new students on campus. Well, that sounds good, Amy. Uh, it's good to see things getting kicked off again at our seminaries. And speaking of our seminaries, earlier in January, there was some exciting news out of Boyce College, the undergraduate school at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Dr. Albert Moeller and Dr. Matt Hall announced a new bachelor's degree program at Boyce in communication. Because, hey, if your students are going to work in the business and professional worlds, they won't need less theology. They're going to need more because of how things are going. Uh, This new program promises cutting-edge training in the complexities of communication fields for the 21st century with the biblical and theological studies you would expect from Southern Seminary and Boyce College. You can find out more about this new program at boycecollege.com slash communication. Note that's communication, not communications. So boycecollege.com slash communication. So exciting new degree program. I know uh, they've launched that. I think Midwestern launched one a few weeks ago as well. So uh, nice to see, you know, these expansion of programs at our Southern Baptist seminaries and over at Boyce College. Yes, definitely. It's it's great to see our colleges training students for a variety of arenas uh, where they can be on mission for Christ. And, and technically, I guess you and I both work in communication professions. Yes. So... Uh, we're all for absolutely better training in communication professions, and uh, it's exciting to see that. So, Amy, some sad news this week. One of the early SBC conservative presidents, 1980-1981, Bailey Smith, passed away this week at the age 79. I think you were the first person who sent this to me. I was. But then, you know, immediately I, I got on Twitter and, and other channels and, and was seeing that. And uh, the, this was a, a, a big one. Um, Bailey Smith is a name that a lot of Southern Baptists would know, not just because of uh, of his presidency, but also just as an evangelist. He, he went around, he preached a lot of different places, did the uh, real evangelism conferences is what, what they were called as a Bible conference that, that he would c- travel around and... Uh, do in different churches. I think he he conducted one at Southeastern Seminary about 10, 11 years ago. Um, he's just someone that has been a, a real presence in the Southern Baptist Convention for a long time. Um, but historically, he is also known for that, that presidency. So in 1980, 
when Adrian Rogers chose not to run for a second term. So he had won in 1979. It was the big first major election that was that was won in the conservative resurgence era. Um, but he chose not to run for reelection. And so Bailey Smith stepped up and, and he was nominated. He ran and he won. And that was a really important moment because a lot of folks, you know, ask the question, yes, Adrian Rogers won in 1979, but he was a very popular preacher. So was this just sort of a one-time thing? Well, then Bailey Smith's election really showed, no, there's something going on here. Now, it was in the next few years, you know, Jimmy Draper and then Charles Stanley that that it became abundantly clear. But I think the Bailey Smith election is where you can see uh, this this trend really starting to say it, it this wasn't just a one-time thing. Yeah, Amy, I've got a quote here from Bailey Smith. Uh, it's really, really strong. Uh, and if the Bible is the word of God at all, it is the perfect word of God because God will not give a word of flaws and mistakes. I know we must never get bogged down in anything that keeps us from missions and evangelism, but I also know that no soldier wants to go into battle with a defective weapon. We can have confidence in the word of God. We do have a Bible worth believing. 66 books, 1189 chapters, 31,175 verses, all true inspired word of God without any mixture of error. Praise God for his wonderful, infallible word. Our denomination has a great and joyful future, fulfilling the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your church has a future worth living because the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You have a great future because you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you can rest assured that what he says is true. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And Amy Bailey Smith is there with our Lord Jesus Christ today. Yes, and he is survived by his wife, Sandy. Uh, they were married 55 years. And three sons, Bailey Scott, uh, Stephen Smith, who's the pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Little Rock. Yep, good friend uh, of the pot. Who he, right, used to uh, be at Southwestern Seminary. Um on uh, as part of the administration there, and Josh, who pastors Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Georgia. Uh, Stephen and Josh are both uh, graduates of Southeastern, so uh, have a lot of connections uh, here, and uh, we have several mutual friends and everything. So the the Smith family is really loved on this campus, and Bailey Smith was uh, as well. So we uh, send condolences and prayers to his family. Um, this this is a big loss uh, to Southern Baptists. Yes, it is, Amy. Now, a follow-up on a story uh, that we've kind of been tracking a little bit over the last month or so, started right before the Christmas break. But Harvest Bible Chapel in Elgin, Illinois, uh, announced this week that Pastor James McDonald would be taking an indefinite sabbatical from preaching and leadership at the Chicago area Metro Church while it works to reconcile with past critics. Uh, we've talked previously on uh, the podcast about McDonald withdrawing from the 2019 Southern Baptist Convention Pastors Conference uh, in which he was scheduled to speak in Birmingham. Uh, so we've just been kind of following this, so I wanted to update everybody on that. Uh, but it looks like James McDonald is uh, not going to be in the pulpit in Chicago uh, indefinitely. We'll keep an eye on this story and see if there's any other news to report to you, our listeners. And uh, we mentioned it at the top of the show, uh, some changes at Lifeway this week. Uh, I'm going to read a quote here. 
uh, from Dr. Rayner in an email that he sent out to us earlier this week. We prayed and hoped that our investments in and commitments to the Lifeway stores would prove fruitful. That has just not been the case. To the contrary, we not only continue to see an erosion in the brick-and-mortar channel, and we have seen an accelerated rate of erosion in recent months. It was our hope that a greater traffic would result in greater sales and that with our expense reductions and product cost savings, we'd be able to offset sales declines. That hope has not been realized with the declines we have seen since September. Uh, basically, uh, what we're seeing is sales continue to decline in a brick and mortar, which is going to lead to a contraction of stores across the country. Uh, we don't have timings or locations of the, the stores closures, uh, but we, we operate right now 174 stores and uh, that will decrease over the next 12 to 18 months. So there's still to be a retail presence, Amy, of Lifeway. Uh, just not quite sure what that looks like. Uh, putting more resources into a dynamic digital strategy, as it said in okay. the email. So I'm confident in the leadership at Lifeway. I have been been there for seven years. You were there for a few years uh, before me, and we overlapped a little bit. But uh, you know, this was yeah. not an easy decision for Dr. Rayner. It has been a sure. very trying time uh, for the leadership, but it's just to the point where uh, this is a, a decision that had to be made and a, a direction that Lifeway had to go. So um, we hate the, uh, the yeah. loss of stores, but uh, you know, it's, it should be no surprise the way retail is going, you know, not just in the Christian marketplace, uh, but across oh, all of the country. Everywhere, everywhere. And, and, you know, you can, you can see that and you understand, um, but know that it's still very difficult uh, with the people involved. And that it was, it was sad for me to, to see this week, just because even though it's been a, a long time since I've worked at Lifeway, um, I just love Lifeway and loved my time there and have such, such fond memories and such an appreciation for it. And then also love, you know, our continued partnerships as Southern Baptists. Uh, and so I know it, I know it has, has not been easy, uh, but just kind of looking ahead to a new era. Yeah. That new era will also have a new president. You know, Dr. Rayner announced back in August that he was, uh, retiring and moving on and the search continues for a new president. So we, uh, we continue to wait on that news. Uh, some other uh, kind of unexpected news this week, Amy, uh, some news from Atlanta, Mark DeMoss, founder of the DeMoss Group. Uh, the PR firm, big Christian PR firm, he's uh, he's 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 ending it. He's closing shop on March 29th. Yeah, this was kind of a a surprise. I'm, I imagine it was a surprise to everyone who knows of the work of uh, the Demos Group. Um, but it seems like he just uh, he's he's had some experiences the last few years. He was diagnosed with cancer. Um, is cancer free now? But also just, I think, had a real season of reflection during all of that and, uh, and realizes that this is a time, uh, that, that he would like to step away. He, he explained it that many PR, uh, organizations have been reinventing themselves and changing their business models. I mean, this is, we were just talking about this with retail. Yeah. Uh, it's just a time when a lot of things are changing. Uh, but he said he is just not wired to do that with his firm. And yeah. I think really just making a personal choice to say, you know, in my life, there are, are things I, I want to do going forward. And I think I would like to make a different choice. Um, and and uh, so there was something about kind of seeing that and see, that that I said, you know, that this is, you know, good for Mark DeMoss. Um, 
And uh, I don't know him, haven't met him, but I'm very familiar with his work and, and have a lot of respect for it. So uh, I think we it, dealt yeah. with him one time uh, whenever mm-hmm. he was, whenever you and I both worked for Ed on, on a project with Ed. He was representing somebody Ed was working with or, or oh, okay. wanted to, to get an interview with. And I emailed back and forth. I wound up emailing back and forth with, with him. Ah, okay. Very nice. Okay. And, um, but one of the things that, that jumped out to me in the letter uh, and I don't have it in front of me, but it to something to the effect of he got into PR for the, the work of PR and yeah. the, and now PR has really changed into the business of PR. Right. And it right. kind of mentioned it, you know, there, the, the not wired to do that with his firm. And I, I really like that. He was like, look, this isn't what I signed up for a long time ago. It's, you know, whatever, 29 years. Was it 29 years? It's not years? what I'm built, what I'm built for, yeah. what I'm built to love. Yeah. And you know, good for him. You know, right. He, this is not the type of PR he wants to do that, that we're faced with in 2019. So, and he's positioned to where he can retire from this, close down the shop and do something else. And I, you know, wish him all the best. That's I, I, it's fantastic. Yes. Same here. All right. And finally, uh, some new research from Lifeway this week. This thing has been getting around. It's been all over the place. And so we released this on Tuesday, January 15th. On Thursday of this week, I got a, a PR pitch from a PR group using this research two days after it was released. It was that big of a deal. Like they, they wow. used it to, to, it was like the lead in their story yeah. uh, to, to try to pitch a, uh, a, you know, a PR thing. And I was like, wow, this is kind of a big deal whenever somebody jumps on that, that quick. So, uh, it was, it was fascinating, but, uh, so tell us about the research, Amy. It's, it's on the church dropout rate among young adults and some of it's some pretty good news. Yeah. So uh, this was trying to understand, uh, as you just said, why young adults may walk away from church. So they um, they surveyed American young adults who um, attended a Protestant church regularly for at least a year as a teenager. All right. So that's the group. Two thirds of them say they also dropped out for at least a year between the ages of 18 and 22. So basically when they got to college, they dropped out for at right. least a year. But but the good news though, you said two thirds, it was 70%. Now it's 66. So yes. both of those kind of within the margin of error of one another. So it's really, really close. Not a significant difference, but it didn't increase. So that that's a good thing. Right. It, you know, we're not losing more students than we did um, a, a decade ago. So uh, it, it says 69% um, said they were attending at age 17. That fell to 58% who were attending at age 18, 40% at age 19. And then once they were in their 20s, around one in three say they were attending church regularly. So it's kind of a slow uh, sort a of slow falling fade, yeah. off. Yeah, falling mm-hmm. off. Um, most of them who dropped out, so they, you know, you take this and then, then you, you ask questions to the people who dropped out to begin to understand what was going on. 96% of the people who dropped out listed a change in their life situation. Um, that was 96%, 73% say it was related to the church or pastor, um, 70% the you know religious ethical or political beliefs 63% um 
said, you know, the student ministry was involved. So the the five most frequently chosen specific reasons for dropping out were moving to college and no longer attending. Yeah, they lose that's their thir- community of faith. 34%. Yeah. Right, right. Um, and then, you know, church members seeming judgmental or hypocritical, that was 32%. No longer feeling connected to people in their church, 29%. Uh, disagreeing with the church's stance on political or social issues, 25%. And work responsibilities, 24%. Um, but it said nearly half of those who dropped out and attended college say moving to college played a role in their no longer attending church for at least a year. Uh, so this does tell us something. There's a real connection. And that that's an interesting thing in a culture where we expect our um, teenagers will go to college. I mean, you you uh, many still don't, but it's kind of something you just anticipate. We ask people, where are you going to go to college? Have you started looking at colleges? Uh, we're thinking about that now just a little bit as we have a ninth grader. Um and we know that in a couple of years, that season of looking for colleges will come. And, but but we need to see and understand that, you know, statistically, there is an issue that needs to be uh, approached with great care that when they go to co- that when our uh, students go to college, we need to have ways to help them uh, get involved in a community. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And all right. So. Question for you, Amy. Whenever you went to college, did you drop out at church at all? Well, as as a matter of fact, I actually was going to share my story in just a okay. second. Well, I just um, set so, you up for that. There you go. Yeah, you sure did. You didn't even know I was going to do it. Uh, so now, as you know, I I was not raised in the Southern Baptist uh, in a Southern Baptist church, but I uh, still was raised in a family that's very very active um, in our church. And so when I got to college, you know, that was something that my parents really held out as a, a value to me. And I understood that um, and, and felt it as well. So they went out while I was at New Student Orientation. They went and found a, a church, the church closest to the campus. And so then when I had a break, they actually drove me to it, showed me how to get to it and everything. So I went on the first Sunday but my plan was, as a college freshman, was to do the bare minimum, to just go to the service, uh, slide in the back, uh, sit down, and then when the service was over, leave. And I would have just done what I needed to do. I would have gone to church on Sunday. And I, I thought I would just do that for four years. Well, when I went in the very first day, I, I sat over in the back and a, a woman, I'll never forget her, her name was Sarah Dexter, was I mean, she was on me in a second and came right over, recognized that I was there, that I was new. She introduced herself to me, invited me to come sit with her. Um, well, when when someone comes and says, "Comes," you don't want to say no. So I went and sat with her. Um, then after church, that after the service that morning, very quickly, the couple that uh, taught the college and a singles class just made a beeline for me immediately. Introduced themselves. They talked to me. So I thought, oh my goodness, these people. And, but I, I but I, it was, the, it was the church where I was going to go. And so I kept going back because I was, I mean, I'm a, you know me, I'm not going to not do it. I'm You're a, a rule follower. follower. Right. So, and as I kept going back, they, they were very persistent 
And then they finally, they invited me to a, a get together at their home. And finally I was like, I, I'll just do whatever I can to get them to just kind of leave me alone. And I went to this get together at their home and, and I really became part of a community and everything changed for me. And I ended up, by the time I was at the end of my uh, college years, I was, oftentimes I was there more than I was on my campus. I was um, really involved in that Sunday school class. I was, I had been a youth intern. I was a youth volunteer. I went on mission trips. I was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, involved in women's ministry, everything. Um, but it was all because people saw me and pursued relationship with me. Now that may not work with every college student, but I can just tell you that my plan uh, was to stay as distant as possible. Um, and uh, as a, as an 18 year old, and they just kind of dispense with that really quickly. So I, I would put that out there to say it may not work in every situation, but it, it really can't hurt to, to try um, and, and make connections because I think one difficulty is to come out when you've been a child in your parents' home all this time. Uh, you don't really have to work to find community because you've uh, oftentimes grown up in it or you've been in the youth group. But when you go to college and you have to, to try on your own and plug in, that's a very difficult thing to step out and do. So some of these places that have some real thriving college ministries are able to, to work on this, help folks get connected. But I think that finding that community uh, is what makes a huge difference. All right. That's cool. All right. So I, as well, got like plugged in right away. My first semester in college, my freshman year, I'd had a wreck at one point and didn't have a car, so couldn't get to church. And so started hitching rides with friends or whatever, going to Temple Baptist in Hattiesburg. And I think by the time that freshman, that first semester was over, uh, a buddy of mine had been hired as the new like contemporary worship leader. They were starting a contemporary service at First Baptist in Hattiesburg, which is now oh, Venture wow. Church. Okay. So yeah. down in Hattiesburg, and uh, they changed the name a few years ago. But um, he was the worship leader, a good friend of mine. So they started this contemporary service. So a bunch of us just started going there as well. Um, nothing wrong with Temple. It's just that we had a friend that was leading worship at another church. So we went with him, and we were good friends. And um, by the time you know we finished uh, four years of college or whatever, I finished four and a half years of college with my master's, um, then you know i was engaged to the children's intern you know <laughs> so that it worked nice. out pretty good for me you know yeah uh, so there you go it, it 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 worked out so uh, you know it the staying in church in college was highly beneficial for me uh yeah. in the long run kind of kind of set set the trajectory for it your did. life it did i met my wife at church and i and i think it was my time in that uh church where i kind of experienced some of my own uh, calling to a life in ministry um, and, and really didn't know what that uh, would entail or what it would look like. I, I couldn't even put some specifics to it. At the time, I was working with uh, high school girls um, and interned there and at another church. But uh, right when I was trying to figure that out, I had some friends that introduced me to uh, Keith Whitfield. And there was some point down the road, because on our first date, he told me, uh, oh, I'm leaving for seminary in a few months, which I, my first thought was, why are we on this date if you're about to leave for seminary? 
then it, it was a little bit down the road that it all began to click that the Lord had been doing something in my heart, calling me to a life of ministry uh, before I met Keith. And then, uh, I, you know, kind of our lives were sort of knitted, knitted together in that way. But that, that church had a lot to do with that time of calling for me. So That's awesome. Very um, cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to bring, that's going to do it for the news this week and, and story time, I guess, as well. Um, yes. But it's also going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. All right. We're going to go back 100 years. Oh, I know where you're going to, with this. I need to give credit to you because it was your idea that I researched this. There you so go. I did. And I went and found, and actually, uh, I've, I'm going to the January 23rd Because they reported the, on it the week after. Yeah. Right, right. Of the Baptist and Reflector, uh, which was the Tennessee uh, Baptist paper, still is the Tennessee Baptist paper. So this was January 23rd, 1919. And uh, there is a column in there that is discussing the recent passing of the 18th Amendment. Do you know what the 18th Amendment was, Jonathan, since this that, was your idea? I think you do. That was prohibition. That is correct. Which we still honor in the Howe household, by the way. Uh, well, good for you. Uh, same in the Whitfield house. Uh, well, I mean, we uh, we honor that practice. We yes. don't stand around and talk about the 18th Amendment. but no. Well, in um, your house, because, you never know. That's true. We do read the Declaration of Independence every Fourth uh, of July, but the Constitution and the Bill of Rights uh, are just way too long. My uh, children would never let me do that, so we don't stand around and uh, read or talk about the Eighteenth Amendment. But certainly, in in practice, uh, but they call it a great moral victory. Uh, the amendment to the federal Constitution has been ratified. Prohibition becomes a reality throughout the nation. On January 16, the number of states ratifying the amendment had reached 38, two more than the required three-fourths. The rapidity with which the states acted favorably has been marvelous. Um, so they, this is a, a, a column. It's, it's pretty lengthy. Um, if you click on the link in the show notes, you can go to page nine where it, uh, it covers that. And it's, uh, it's really interesting just reading you know, what all they have to say. They finish it with, uh, I think, maybe a line from a hymn or something. We hail the great day. We bless God for the victory. Um, and then they uh, they bring up the Proverbs, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart therefrom. Um, they talk about, you know, kind of the impact on uh, the impact that the war had on the conversation, uh, on the need for soldiers that, you know, that, that alcohol wasn't, or that for soldiers where liquor was not a part of, of their lives. Uh, so this was a, a celebration in uh, Southern Baptist life, as you can imagine. You know, when we look at what we know as the ERLC, um, and you go back, you know, in, in history, it was the Christian Life Commission. It was all these things before the Social Service Commission. Part of what they really focused on in the beginning uh, was was this. This was a, a major uh, issue because they saw it as a real impact on society. And, um, and, and I think when you read back in the history of uh, the time of Prohibition, um, the the time of Prohibition, the impact that 
uh, liquor was having on society, uh, the, the impact that liquor was having on society caused a very large cultural question. And Southern Baptists were on a very specific side. So this was a time of celebration. Now, as we know, of course, this is not still in effect. The 21st Amendment came later and, and repealed prohibition. But for a season, you know, this was, this was a very big issue. So uh, Southern Baptists were most uh, decidedly on the side of prohibition. And so uh, they were celebrating 100 years ago this week in SBC history. All right, Amy, I draw your attention to the bottom right-hand corner of page 11 of the Baptist and Reflector. Yes. Well, that's the other thing that can be really fun about some of these Baptist and Reflector issues is I, I would actually encourage our listeners, when you go to the show notes, don't just go to page 9. Uh, go go through the whole thing. Look at the advertisements. The advertisements. Look at the columns. Uh, they're really fascinating. Um, and I think what uh, you're calling my attention to is a free trial uh, for an odorless indoor toilet. That is exactly what I was calling your attention to. No money down, no deposit, costs one cent a week to operate or something like that to do. And uh, so obviously this would have been a time when a lot of people did not have indoor plumbing. No more outside backyard inconveniences. No right. chambers to empty, Amy. No sewers. It's just it's yes. amazing. It's it is. But now, if you go down below, also there's a whole thing. It's a section called yeah, the, "Do you know, you know" on page yeah. twelve. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know that the Foreign Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention is now supporting three hundred sixteen foreign missionaries in ten great mission fields? So, kind of gives you some statistics in uh, in some some different areas. Uh, the, do you see down there, do you know that we have four publishing houses now in operation and two more in process of development, which are distributing millions of pages of Christian literature? That's there you interesting. Go. How about that? Yeah, that's from the Foreign Mission Board. So you're talking yeah. about publishing houses, I think, around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's an, an ad from the Foreign Mission Board. Um, there's also uh, an ad in there about Roger Williams Day. There's an ad for Southern Seminary. This is the interesting one. Uh, so this is an ad for Southern Seminary spring term opening January 30th, 1919. Um, and so it's it's actually recruiting students. Uh, it does say tuition free. Oh, there expenses, you go. Expenses moderate. But this is pretty cool. For catalog and full information, write to E.Y. Mullins, President, Norton Hall, Louisville, Kentucky. Hey, we know that name. No, yep. No zip code, no anything. And for your, the catalog, it's not, I mean, now it's just, hey, go on the website, click this link, you can see SBTS. the catalog. SBTS.edu. Right. But and if you want to go is, and, I mean, and, and get a degree at communication at Boyce, it's boycecollege.com slash communication. Right, but it's still like we just say do this, but a hundred years ago it was uh, for catalog and full information. Write to the president, and he will send you a catalog. All right, so um, I want some of our listeners to write to Doctor Moeller and request a catalog. 20, I want all of our listeners twenty eight twenty five Lexington Road, Louisville, Kentucky. I, I want all of our listeners to be my uh, witnessing ears. That, that you didn't I say that. Did not say that. 
I didn't suggest it. I didn't echo it. I did not condone it in any way whatsoever. But it is kind of cool to to see. So I was at Southern Seminary when the whole switch happened and, and the president's office moved upstairs. So it had been in the same spot in Norton Hall ever since E.Y. Mullins had moved into it. And Dr. Moeller was in that same office. And so when he moved upstairs, then academic administration moved into that. And uh, so I had the office next to E.Y. Mullins' uh, office That's that had been cool. there. So, yeah, so maybe people wrote and it, it came into the office there. So, uh, so yeah, check out that article about prohibition because uh, that is something that people were talking about this week in SBC history. But uh, while you're there, uh, stick around for some of the other stories and the ads. And, and you know, uh, it, people are kind of wondering because nowadays when we send stuff out, the ads are very Southern Baptist centric. Uh, so why were uh, folks, you know, advertising an indoor toilet but the truth is the baptist and reflector and i think other baptist papers of the time had advertisements for all sorts of things because this was a newspaper that was going to people's homes and uh so there are lots of products and uh, medicines and all sorts of things you can find uh it's it is quite a rabbit hole to get into these papers from uh a century ago yes and there's also an ad in there where you can double the egg production for your um your your chickens. So you right, can I saw that send, one. send a dollar to some dude in Florida and they'll send you some some tonic or something for your yes. chickens. Yeah, twenty twenty eight twenty five Lexington Road, Louisville, Kentucky, four oh two eight oh. So Okay, moving on. All righty, uh that's gonna bring us to our resources of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is Mine is a new podcast. It is the Uncommentary Podcast, and that's actually spelled U-N-C-O-M-M-O-N-T-A-R-Y. So like Uncommon. Terry. And then Commentary, yeah. Uh, and it is hosted by a good friend of ours, uh, Marty Duran. Um, and he interviews, uh, different, uh, different people, uh, historians, you know, other, other folks to, to really comment on, um, he he interviews different people, historians, writers, scholars, um, to just really discuss uh, cultural issues of the day, um, you know, perhaps books they've written, things like that. And so I've just listened to the first episode, uh, which was yeah, Kevin Cruz. Kevin Cruz. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It was so good. And I, I, I just I, I I really thought it was riveting conversation. Um, so I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, he's dropped three episodes, um, already. Uh, so you can kind of jump in there and, and really get in the groove of listening to it. Um, I'm excited. I, I'm going to make that a regular part of my, uh, week. All right. My resource of the week is a new book from Ben Trueblood. It's kind of tied to the research that we put out earlier. It's called Within Reach, The Power of Small Changes to keep students connected. And so it's talking about how to keep students and teens connected to the, to the church and, you know, decrease this, this decline that we see as they get older. And uh, so this is something you can go through with your students to try to, to help them understand the importance of staying connected to the church. Uh, so it, it presents the 10 strongest predictors of young adults staying or dropping out of church after high school, uh, which includes parental influence, regular Bible reading, investment of adults, those things like that. We talked about both of us 
really got connected into a local church in college right away because of one thing, and that was community. It's important. It's hugely important because kids, you know, they go from their youth group and everything where they know everybody and they have fun and it's great community. They go to college and they have to start all over and try to build that. And it's really difficult because you're trying to build the same kind of thing and maybe work school and now, you know, in, in church as well. So, uh, kind of a difficult time there. And so this is to help them, uh, you know, help them with that transition from high school to college. So check it out. It's called within reach from Ben Trueblood. All right, Amy, that's going to do it for us this week on the podcast. Something I do want to mention before we go, the CBF, Amy, I know it's not. this is not CBF this week. This is SBC this week. Uh, but they did elect a new executive coordinator, which is basically the kind of their president of the executive committee role. Paul Baxley, a 49-year-old pastor from Georgia, uh, who was uh, kind of on the pro-illumination project side of things. So, so we, we've seen them trending this direction, and now, you know, after passing the Illumination Project, they've now hired somebody who is in favor of that, and, and will continue that down uh, in the CBF. So, just something to keep an eye on. Yeah, which is not completely. I mean, they passed it, so hiring someone or putting someone in that position who was supportive of it uh, would. I mean, that that's something that isn't a huge surprise. A lot of organizations would do that if they, you know, if you pass something, then then you're going to go in that direction. Certainly something of interest. Yeah, and check this out. He's got a connection. Um, he grew up at First Baptist Church on 5th in Winston-Salem, which was pastored by Randall Lolly. Oh, yeah. Who was a former president of Southeastern Baptist Theological that's Seminary. That's correct. Yes. So uh, president into uh, the, he was president in the 80s. Yeah, until Louis Drummond came along. That's right. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week on the podcast. I hope everybody has a great Martin Luther King Day. Uh, that's this week. Uh, we're off at Lifeway, so enjoy a holiday there. Uh, hopefully you are off as well. You can uh, remember the contribution of Martin Luther King Jr. And we will see you next week. See you next week.